I don't know if I'm going to get this right, but it goes something like this, I think. The proud, the few, the Marines, right? Not, is it something like that? Is that right? What's that? The few, the proud, the Marines. Thank you. Got a saying for this morning. The few, the proud, the Memorial Day church attenders. <laughs> oh, I said, as the service started, that we can, we can tell all the people that come on Memorial Day, they're all the people that don't own RVs or cabins because everyone that does is using their RV or at their cabin. So we're the po folk here this morning. It's good to be here uh, with you. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And 25, just put your finger there. This morning what I want to do is I want to give you a complimentary message from what we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, this will be a standalone. You won't need to have the background of that. But last week we talked about preparing for hard times. And a part of that conversation <clears throat> talked about us living in the last days and that Jesus is going to return. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. In fact, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. But he did talk about seasons. and I believe this is the season of the last day. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you about <clears throat> how we should live in recognition of that reality. Toward the end of his life, right before his crucifixion, in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples came up to Jesus and in the midst of a dialogue they asked him this question, Matthew chapter 24, part of verse 3. It says, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, and here's one of the things that they said to him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 24 and in Matthew chapter 25 is he begins to answer that question. What the sign of his coming, his second coming, will be, and what will be the sign of the end of the age. So he gives them a lot of signs, and then he begins to talk about what the circumstances are going to be like toward the end. And he used the illustration of Noah, Matthew chapter 24. What I'm doing here is I'm giving you context. It's always critical to understand the context because context helps you understand the text. The greatest interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. So I'm giving you the context of a parable that we're going to look at this morning 
the pretext and the post-text to the parable that we're going to look at. Jesus said, related to the illustration of Noah, he said, the last days, the end days are going to be like the days of Noah because in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and marrying until the rain began to fall. They didn't realize the calamity that was upon them. He said it's going to be the same in the last day. Then he said and taught that what we should do then is we should keep watch. We should be ready. Be ready. And then he told two stories to drive his point home. First of all, he told about a thief breaking into a house. And he said, if the owner had just known that the thief was going to come, but he didn't know. The point is, again, be ready, be ready. And he followed that with the story of ten virgins who were waiting for their bridegroom. And there's a great contrast here. Five of them kept oil in their lamps. They were anticipating the return of their groom, the soon and coming return, and they kept oil in their lamps. They were ready, not knowing exactly when he would come. It could be at night, and they would need a lamp. The other five did not keep oil in their lamps. And when they heard the sound of the bridegroom coming, the five that didn't have oil had to go out and buy oil. And by the time they returned, the bridegroom had come and he had taken the five that were prepared in and the door had been shut and they were shut out. And the point is, be ready. Be ready. Then what Jesus does is right in the midst of that context, he tells a parable, the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, he explains, and remember, this is right before his death. Jesus, right before his death, spent the majority of his time, spent a great portion of his teaching talking about his return. Again, the point being, live with anticipation of it. Be ready. Live like, if I could illustrate it like this or state it like this, that we are to be living as if this day is the last day of the rest of our lives. Not the first day, as the famous saying goes, of the rest of our lives, but the way that we should be living is as if this was the last day of the rest of our lives. And he begins by talking about a parable. He tells us how to live as if this were the last day of the rest of our lives. He tells us how to live in preparation for His coming. You see, 
if he's coming back, then we need to live today in preparation for that coming so that we are not caught unprepared. And what he does in principle in the story of the talents, the parable of the talents, he tells us what it's going to look like to live ready for his return. Not that we just should live ready, but how we can live ready. I'm going to read for you the parable, Matthew chapter 25. Flip over there. We're going to begin reading in verse, I believe it's 14. I want to just read it through and then we'll go back to the beginning and take it a piece at a time. But I want you to just hear the story, the parable in one setting here. Get it in your mind. Jesus begins in verse 14. Remember the context. All of this discussion about being ready for his return. Jesus says in verse 14, for it, meaning the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus would begin to tell a parable, like in verse 1 of chapter 25, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like He told one parable in the first part of 25. He gets to verse 14. He's going to tell the other. So you can just carry down that statement for it. He's meaning the kingdom of heaven. So he is saying here in verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. And here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, you knew, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. 
but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24 and 25, a great truth coming over and over again is be ready for the return of Christ. And in this parable right here, Jesus is telling us what it means to be ready, to live ready. So let's look at it. The first thing that he talks about, I'm going to give this to you in three sections. The first one is some truths about stewardship. Some truths about stewardship. Verse 14 and 15 again. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Here we find some key foundational stones of stewardship. Let me just give you the obvious ones off the top here. First of all, we're all servants. We're all servants. That was true of the man with five talents, true of the man with two, true of the man with one. We're all servants. We are working on the owner's property. It's not our property. It's his property. It's not our resources. They're his resources. We're we're servants. Second truth about stewardship is we're not owners. They're his. It's all his. And then thirdly, we have been given a trust. We've been given a trust. Each one has something to work with and something to be accountable for. Those are obvious truths of stewardship, foundational stones of stewardship. But the one that might be a little harder to see that I want to point out to you here in verse 15 that Jesus spotlights specifically. Look again at verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Here's a truth about stewardship. God determines our potential. God determines our potential. God created you. God knows you intimately (coughs) and intricately. Knowledge of your every action, your every thought, your every motive. God, who knows each one of your days before one of them came to be. Now think about that. God knew each one of your days before one of them came to be, and he knew exactly how he created you with the abilities that he placed within you. And so what God does is that he takes your abilities that he has given you and he places in front of your life opportunities in which you can engage those abilities. So that God establishes your potential. Talent here in the parable, in the parable it refers to money. 
that the master gave him a sum of money. But the great truth of the parable is not limited to money. The great truth of the parable that Jesus is communicating here is that God has given you a set of abilities and a set of opportunities, and those two things together equal your opportunity. Matthew chapter 25, 16 to 18. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with him, and he made five talents more. So also... He who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. See, the truth here contrasts between the man with five talents and two talents as opposed to the man with one talent. There's a radical difference between those two groups of servants. And the truth about stewardship is this here that I want to point out is that we determine our practice. You see, God determines our potential, but we determine our practice. Do you see that here? The one with five talents determined to use those for his master and to put them to use as did the one with two, but the one with one chose not to. He chose to do nothing except to bury You see, God gives us the ability to choose whether or not we will use what he's given us in abilities and walk into the opportunities he places in front of us to properly steward and reach our potential. He gives us the choice on whether we'll do that. You have to make the choice. Matthew 5, 19, 25, 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Here's the third truth about stewardship. God evaluates our productivity. You hear, did you hear that there? The master came back called his servants in and said, it's time to give an account. What did you do with what I gave? What did you do with what I gave? See, God determines our potential by giving us abilities and setting in front of us opportunities. We capitalize on those and we have a set of potential that God has placed into our life. But what we have to do is we have to make the choice. We determine our practice. But at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, what God is going to do is he's going to evaluate our productivity. He's going to call us to account and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave? What did you do with what I gave? Here's the second Section, the truth about rewards. That was the truth about stewardship. Here's the truth about rewards. Matthew 25, 20, and 21. 
Jesus continues by saying, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you hear what that man said? He said to his master, You delivered to me and I have made. You delivered to me and I have made. Do you know what that is? That's a partnership right there. That's a partnership. That's what this life is to be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in partnership with the God of the universe. He has gave, and then you take that and you make. And what a privilege it is to be in partnership with him. And just like in the story, who is the initiator? Oh, the master is the initiator. That's the same way it is with us. God is the one that gives. God is the one that initiates. You see, he gave us life. He gives us breath. He gives us strength. He graces us with abilities. He presents us with opportunities. God initiates. God gives. And what we have to do is we have to make the choice to be a steward and take the gift of God, and make something with it. To work in partnership with our great God and King. You see, God brings to the table in His initiation, really, our life and our breath and all of our abilities and our opportunities. And then we bring to the table our choice to engage with those and apply our strength and capitalize on our opportunities. And when we're faithful to that, when we do what God has placed before us, when we capitalize on the abilities and the opportunities, how does God respond? Here's the truth about rewards. Number one, God rewards exponentially. Look at verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, what happened here was exponential increase. I'm not talking about the five talents that the man used and made into ten. I'm talking about the reward. Because the man took five and made it into ten. God said this, or the master in the story said this, Well done, you have been faithful over a little, five. I am going to set you over much. You see, that's exponential increase or exponential reward. It goes from little to much. 
So God rewards exponentially in the increase. But let me show you another aspect of the exponential reward. It's not just an increase from little to much. Look at it a little bit closer. It's an increase from stewardship to rulership. It says, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. If you marry that to the teaching of the New Testament, it's in perfect agreement and complement, and that is that followers of Christ, as we live our life here for Him, we're going to reign with Him forever in eternity. We're going to rule with Him there. You see, it's going to go from stewardship to rulership. A greater set of responsibilities than we have now. Now, you see, in this earth, yes, we could say we're co-regents. We, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, and said, I want you to rule over this. So we are, in a sense, ruling here under the domain of this earth. But when we get into the next kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, we're going to rule there with Christ. It's going to be exponential in its rewards. So the truth about rewards, number one, is that God rewards exponentially. Then look again at verse 21 and 23. The statement of the master, verse 21, to the one with five that made 10, and the statement from the master in verse 23 with the one that had two talents and made four. Listen carefully to them. I'm going to read them to you. His master said to him, to the one with five talents that made 10, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Verse 23, to the man who had two that made four. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Is there any difference in the reward between the one that had five and went to ten and the one that had two and went to four? Any difference? It's exactly the same statement, exactly the same reward. Here's the truth about rewards included there. God rewards fairly. God rewards fairly. Here's what I mean by that. Five talent people are responsible for five talents. They're going to answer to the Lord for five talents. Two talent people are going to answer to the Lord for two talents. One talent people are going to answer to the Lord for one talent. One talent people are going to never have to answer to the Lord for five talents or for two talents, or for three talents, or for four. You see, God is fair. He doesn't expect from you more than what he has given to you. He does it according to your ability. And what he does is that he rewards those who are faithful with five and with two with the same economy. You see, in God's economy, the one that had five and took it to ten 
does not get a greater reward because he had an increase of five over the one that had two and made four. They both were equally effective and faithful with what God had given to them. So the reward is based upon their faithfulness to what God had entrusted to them. God is fair in his reward. So God rewards exponentially. He rewards fairly. And then number three, he rewards eternally. At the end of verse 21 and at the end of verse 23 to those two faithful servants is the same statement, enter into the joy of your master, enter into the joy of your master. Now, in the parable, there's a master and three servants. The truth being painted is about the kingdom and about Jesus Christ, the ultimate master who's going to return as the judge and who's going to call those who are his to give an account for what he has given so that the master is Jesus. Listen, what kind of joy does Jesus have? You can apply this statement from Jesus to you if you have faithfully stewarded what he has given to you on the final day. He's going to say to you, enter into the joy of your Lord, of your master. That's him. What kind of joy does Jesus have? Well, Jesus has eternal joy. Jesus has eternal Nothing is ever going to diminish the joy of Jesus. Nothing is going to tarnish it. Nothing is going to deplete it. Nothing is going to exhaust it. He has eternal joy. He has complete joy. Here's the way the scripture defines it. Fullness of joy. That means there's not any empty spot at all. It is fullness of joy. That's what the reward is going to be like. You see, faithful stewardship and abundant rewards have a common denominator. I want to take a minute to point this out. I think this is really critical. I don't know if you've ever seen this in the story before, even if this is a very familiar parable to you. There's a common denominator in the life of the one with five talents that turned it into ten and in the life of the one with two talents that turned it into four. That is not true in the life of the one that did nothing. So, Jesus is illustrating this by showing it in the life of the first two and by contrasting it in the absence of the third. And here is the common truth. That to be faithful as a steward of what God has entrusted to you, you must take risks. You must take risks. You must Use what God has entrusted to you and leverage it for the building of his kingdom. 
Now, when I use the word risk, let me define that. Let, I don't want anybody to walk out of here saying Brad's telling us to be foolish with what God has given. I'm not telling you to be foolish. I'm not telling you to make an uncalculated investment. But I am telling you to make an investment. In fact, I am saying to you, it's foolish if you don't. The man with one talent is the fool that took that talent and dug a hole and wrapped it up and buried it in a hole and covered it over and kind of put it away out of sight, out of mind, out of reach. But the one with the five talents, he in a sense put those five talents on the line. He had to to get an increase as did the one with the two talents. They had to step out on faith in order to invest, in order to steward what God had given to them. Now, your stewardship, again, is comprehensive. I know in the story, we're talking here about a sum of money, but it is intended to be a parable that just paints a great truth about life and about our part in the kingdom. It is not confined to money. Money is just one of the things that God has given to you. He's given to you an intellect. He's given to you strengths and abilities. Some of you are creative and can design. Some of you are great at communication. Some of you are craftsmen. Some of you are good in the arts. Some have a lot of money, the ability to make money. Some of you are very charismatic just a whole bag full of abilities that you have. The point is this. It is foolishness to bury them, put them in a bag, dig a hole, bury them in the ground, and wait for Jesus to come back and say, here is what I was given. I'm giving it all back to you in its totality. I didn't lose anything. God is not after what you didn't lose. Point of the parable. He's after what you gained with what he gave. He wants you to take what he has given to you for him, right? This was the master's money and he called them to give an accounting of what they had done for his money for the master's increase. It's not what you can increase for your own benefit. It's for what you can do for the king, for the master. So question, what are you doing with what God had give, was giving you? Intellect, natural abilities, artistic abilities, finances, charisma, relationships, communication abilities, What are you doing with what God has invested into you for the kingdom? Are you using it for him? Let me just make this point even stronger by illustration from the characters of Scripture. Who is it that God brags about in the Bible? Just think about that for a minute. 
Who does God brag about in the Bible? Let me just give you some illustrations and ask you the question, are these individuals, are these men who live safe, who live conservative, and I mean that term not as in morally conservative. I'm talking about in kind of a negative term where you just kind of put it in a bag, dig a hole, hide it away so that nothing is lost. Are the men that we are talking about men who lived safe or are they men who took risks? Let me just give you a list. How about Noah? Did Noah live safe? Noah spent 110 years building a ship on dry ground. Now, get that into your mind. Warp back several thousand years. There's no shipyard. There's no rollers when the thing's done to flip the switch, pull the lever, and let it slide into the water. It's on dry ground. There's no crane to carry it over and drop it in the water. It's on dry ground, and it's a little bit too big to move by hand. It's big enough to put two of every species on the planet in it. And for 110 years, Noah lived unsafe. Noah took a risk. He took what God had given to him, and he invested it. And when he was done, God shut the door and sent some rain. How about Abraham? Did Abraham live safe? You tell me, is this living safe? He bound his only beloved son. He laid him on an altar and he raised the sacrificial knife. Is that taking a risk? How about Daniel? Did Daniel live safe? The king said, here's my edict. Don't pray to any other God. Don't pray to anyone but me for the next three days. What did Daniel do? Oh, he just played it safe. He just took that, put it in a bag, buried a hole, put it in the ground, covered it over. No, he went right home, went to his room, got on his knees and prayed to his God. As did his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they live safe? No, they denied the king as well and his command and were thrown into a fiery furnace. Unscathed, by the way, but they didn't live safe. How about Moses? Did Moses live safe? stood before the most powerful man on the planet of his day with a stick in his hand and said, I'm giving you a command. Let my people go, God says. That's not living safe. That's taking a risk. And you could just go over and over. And how about the little red-haired boy? You know, the youngest. You know, the one that wasn't with his big brothers. He was just carrying the cheese and the bread to his mighty warrior brothers. 
Remember that guy? His name was David. And outstepped Goliath. And all the Israelite army ran in fear. Did David play it safe? No. David picked up five stones and he ran toward the battle line. He took a risk. He leveraged what God had invested in him. Did the apostles play it safe? Here's just one. How about Paul? Stoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Carried outside of the city, stoned and left for dead. Guess what he did then? Got back up, walked right back into the city that had stoned him. How about the greatest example? Did Jesus play it safe? I mean, our life is to be patterned after his Anyone who claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus did, the scripture says. Did Jesus play it safe? Do you know Jesus was safe? Jesus was safe in heaven throughout all eternity past. But Jesus stepped down from the throne of heaven to come down into the womb of a peasant teenage girl so that he could be born and grow up so that he could buy his own initiative, accomplish his own death, embrace the cross, pay for sin. Jesus did not play it safe. You see, here's the point. A life of stewardship means that you take what God has entrusted to you and you take some risks for him. You don't put it in a bag, dig a hole, bury it in the ground, and just give it back to him. Listen, What in the world good is it going to be on the final day for you to give God back, let's just take one thing, the money that you have accumulated or the money that God has given. What good is it going to be? Say, God, here's here's my $500,000. Does he going to need that? Is he going to need that? No, he's not going to need that. The, The heaven streets are paved with gold. It's pavement. Right? He wants you to use what he's given for eternal purposes. What about your intellect? Man, God, I studied a lot just so I could attain a lot of intellect, but I never really did anything for it for your kingdom. And here is my great mind. Oh, please. Your mind in heaven is going to be radically expanded. He doesn't need that. What he wants you to do is get an increase for the kingdom with it. If he gave you the intellect, use it for the kingdom. If he gave you creative flair, use it for the kingdom. If he gave you the ability to earn money, use it for the kingdom. If he gave you charisma, use it to win others to Christ, to expand the kingdom. If he gave you the ability to communicate, use it to proclaim eternal truth, not advance yourself. You see, stewardship is about investing in eternal things, taking 
a calculated risk, stepping out in faith and investing in eternal things. Listen, this is going to just give you my cliff note story here. If I would have never stepped out in faith, I would have never discovered what God had invested in me. It's when you dive in that you discover. I'm telling you, when I stepped into ministry 23 or 4 years ago, right here at this church, I was shaking in my boots. I would have never discovered that God had gifted me with preaching if I hadn't responded to what he was saying and dove into what I thought was an absolute impossibility. You see, God has given you some things and he wants you to dive in and use them. Dive in and discover and dive in and use them for the building of his kingdom. So we've talked about the truth about stewardship and the truth about rewards. Let me just give you a few truths about God. 24, Matthew 25, 24 to 26. Here's the first truth. God condemns unfaithful stewards. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. You know, this man gained nothing. And this man risked nothing. I want you to see something specific, though, about this man. I don't want you to get from this story. It'd be a total misunderstanding of this story if you are reading from this that what we do determines whether or not we make it to heaven. That's not the truth of this story, nor is it the truth anywhere in Scripture. How we get to heaven is based only upon the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done. But the picture being painted here of this man, I believe clearly is a picture of one who was not saved. It is an unregenerated man. You see, he is someone that had an inaccurate understanding of God. You see, a key truth here is this. Unfaithfulness is usually related to a warped view of God. This man actually slandered his master. Did you, did you see that? He slandered his master to his face and blamed his master for his laziness. Oh, master, I knew that you're a hard man. Reap where you don't sow. I just took it, put it in a bag, buried it in a hole, dug a hole, buried it, hid it. I did that because of who you are. He didn't understand God. He did not understand God. And only those who have been born again understand God. And Jesus said 
in the parable that that man by the master was called a wicked, slothful servant. A wicked, slothful servant. Not a righteous, but a wicked. This is an unregenerated and unsaved individual who doesn't understand who God is, has not accepted the Lord as his Savior, and has therefore is therefore not stewarding what God has entrusted to him. The first truth here, if you're going to be a steward of what God has entrusted to you, the first truth is this, you got to come to Jesus Christ. You got to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You got to be born again and taken from being wicked to being made righteous through what Christ has done. You see, before that, you're of the earth, just like this man dug a hole and put his talent in the earth. You're of the earth. You need to be born again of heaven. Then you can use what God has invested in you because the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you, to work through you, to accomplish what you could never accomplish. So God condemns unfaithful servants. Here's the second truth about God. God requires a return. Matthew 25, 27 to 28. Then you ought to have invested my money, said the master, with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Speaking to believers now. God wants a return. He doesn't want you to just give back what you have been given, even the full amount of what you have been given. He wants an increase. He wants an increase. This story is teaching us that God wants an increase. And he is using the illustration of two that had an increase and one that did not. Two that were faithful, one that was wicked to show that God wants an increase from what he has given. He requires a return. And then number three, the truth about God is that God desires your abundance. Listen, you're a follower of Christ or if you're a seeker and God wants you to come to Christ, this is true for you as well. He wants you to have an abundance. He wants you to have an abundance. Verse 29, for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. Just think about that. All that you have, God initiated and he gave. It's God's initiative. It's God's gift. And what he wants you to do, what he's inviting you to do, is to participate with him, to join him in an eternal work. And if you will do that, if you'll be faithful to do that, here's what God says. Man, I'm going to make the reward exponential. You're going to get heaven, yes, but once you get to heaven, you're going to 
It's going to be an exponential increase. There's going to be an abundance. I'm going to pour it out in lavish profusion into your eternal existence. God wants that for you. I'm a parent. I'm a parent. I'm a parent with limited resources. We have a father God with unlimited resources. I'm a parent that's imperfect. God is a father who is perfect. I'm a parent who have kids that live in a sinful world that are sinful in heart, regenerated, but still have a bent towards sin in their flesh so that they can be ruined by blessing. They can be ruined by a profusion of blessing, just like I can still be ruined by that. But in heaven, there's not going to be any ruining. And in heaven, you're a joint heir. And what God wants to do is He wants to pour out an abundance, an uncontainable abundance into your life. See, at one point, the Apostle Paul talked about the end of life and our lives being tested by fire. And he talked about those who had used wood, hay, stubble, or precious stones or precious metals to build their life upon, meaning the temporal things and the eternal things. And those believers who just use the temporal things, just live for self and not for eternity. They'll make it to heaven, but they will escape as one escaping through the flames. And that flame is going to burn up and test their life, and the rewards are going to be based upon what is left from the purifying fire. So the point is this. Jesus talked to us about living this life for that life. And to motivate us to do that, one of the things that he did is saying, there's rewards that are coming. Steward what I have given you. Maximize it to your greatest potential so that God can lavish on you in profuse abundance his rewards. So the question, the context of Matthew 24 and 25 is to live ready. And how do you live ready? How do you live in expectation for the coming of the Lord? You live as a good steward. A good steward who is faithful using your abilities, your gifts, your talents, and the opportunities that God places in front of you using them for the building of his kingdom. Listen, you can do that with your job. I'm not talking about you checking out and not doing your job. If you work in the marketplace, do your job. But understand that God is ultimately your boss. He's ultimately your master. Do that for his glory. The way that you treat your wives, husbands, do that for the glory of God. The way that you parent your children, do it for the glory of God. Listen, would you parent your children any differently, fathers and mothers, if you knew that this day was the last day of the rest of your life? If you knew that, tonight at midnight, Jesus was coming back. Would that change what you did with your kids today? Jesus said, live ready. Live ready.
steward what I have given to you for eternal purposes. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Father, let's commit to you this truth. You know condition of my heart, condition of each heart here, and how that needs to find traction in what we need to do individually.